Hello and welcome to season two, episode 18 of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and culture podcast. I'm Charlie and with you for this one are also Ash and Rosa and HG squad with you to help cathartically exercise a sorry excuse for a North London derby performance. So beyond the Arsenal defeat, we're also going to look to Christ almighty Man City away on Thursday and Fulham away on Monday. Um, We're going to consider Antonio Conte's future too. Elsewhere, we'll cover another Spurs women defeat, uh, made a little more palatable by a debut goal from Bethany England. Um, And then finally, we promise we will cheer things up with our latest culture picks. Right, Ash and Rosa, let's get to it then. Spurs nil, Arsenal 2. A game, basically the photo negative of the same fixture last season. Um, Easily my least enjoyable experience in the stadium so far. Um, Mainly because I still, a day later, cannot believe how good Arsenal have become and how poor we now seem to be. And the chasm between the two sides, both those things has created that we all saw on Sunday. Um, Ash, let's come to you first, my friend. Um, and let's spin things back to pre-kickoff. Um, did things feel as ominous to you as they did me when the teams were announced? Definitely. I think I'm always very negative uh, around this fixture because when you grow up as a Spurs fan, sort of like at the height of, you know, the Thierry Henry and all these incredible Arsenal teams, like it's hard to shake. But I think many of us having seen like, you know, the team come in, like standing in the South Stand, immediately, like our thought was that we were short in midfield, which proved to be correct. Mm-hmm. Um, we all thought that Sessignon over Perisic seemed an odd choice. Maybe there was an injury like or something that we, we are unaware of. But yeah, like the the, the team selection was really quite scary. And obviously there was that glimmer of hope that Benton Core might make yeah. it, which sort yeah. of had gone. Um, obviously we were really happy about Kulisevsky making it, but yeah, I mean, I don't know the whole, for me, I don't know how you felt, but the, 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 the previous fixture where we battered them, even like the walk on the high road, the or mm. it all felt very different. And it, to me, it just felt slightly flat yesterday in every every way. Absolutely. I was in the blue coats for a few hours beforehand and it felt nervy and, you know, which is which is fine, which is to be expected. But normally then that nerviness has a sort of edge to it. You know, you're you're kind of hyped up for that fixture, even if you are sort of nervous and scared that things might not go your way, where it it just felt a little and I think it's interesting you mentioned the sort of Henri days. It felt similar to one of those games where it was like, you know, there wasn't an awful lot of expectation that things were going to go our way. And that seemed to really filter through, you know, the high road, the pubs, just obviously online is, you know, pretty batshit crazy the best of times. But just being around the place felt really, really odd. And even, you know, the sort of light show and all the, you know, stuff that Spurs did in the stadium beforehand all just felt not desperate because I actually quite liked the sort of heart of North London idea that they tried to put out. And I thought that was, you know, good. And they're obviously doing everything they can to, to get everyone in the mood, etc. But it just, I just don't, don't think anyone particularly believed yesterday. Um, no. Least of all our players, <laughs> it seemed, or perhaps our coach. Um 
Rosa, were you, did you have any optimism going into it? Yeah, I did, to be honest. Um, a lot of that was extinguished when I saw that Benson Cole wasn't even on the bench because I really i am so mad at his social media team for doing it all, like all over Instagram and North London. Yeah, yeah. So, I was, so I was like, oh, OK, that means he's definitely going to start. So I was quite shocked, to be honest. And actually, I'm I'm shocked that we lost. I know, like, whatever you can say, that's really dumb because Arsenal are really good and we're really struggling. But I really thought we would put up more of a fight. And I don't know. I've got a lot of mixed feelings about it, actually, because I really spiral. I didn't see any of it because, as you know, I was watching Frozen the Musical with my daughter. Um, I really spiralled sort of during and immediately after. And like I saw the result at the interval and I had like a little cry in my seat in the dark of the theatre being like, it's just wholly because, you know, let go is really moving. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I got really, really angry um, because I just thought you can't, lose this fixture I don't care how good they are we're not this isn't you know a fucking Christian gross team like you've got to stand up and be counted but I'll be on I don't I also don't I don't want to get into a, a blame game because there's a lot of things going on um, a lot of things going wrong but I actually think the sort of we were we were more behind the team in May and we were more behind our manager and I understand why people have lost their minds over Arsenal. I get that. Um, but that got into everybody's heads. And it's and I think people have got hysterical about it. And I think we are such a club of a self-fulfilling prophecy that we're such kind of fucking masochists. We're such self-harmers, really. That it, it, like I feel like part of that we did to ourselves yesterday, to be honest. And not just the players, but the fan base as well. So, you know, maybe I am playing the blame game a little bit. Um, I, you know, this is like, what can you say? It's just, there's, there's no good to be had out of this result. Really? The I mean, the first seven minutes were quite good. I enjoyed the first seven minutes of the match. They were, um, <laughs> we had the ball. We were passing apparently, it around. So, we were you know, good. <laughs> but also, I have to say, I absolutely like, I like exchanged messages with my dad afterwards who was there and I like properly spiraled. Um, and, and, and I chatted to him today and I was like, oh, you know, just I was kind of like a child having a tantrum about it. And he did. So, do you know what? This is like a shout out to my dad, actually. Um, like, because he he's the one who got me into it. So this is his fault. But also he did like a great parenting thing where he just sat me down and he was like, it really is not that bad, Rosa. Hmm. So like, like he did some amazing parenting today. It was great stuff. Um, and he's actually sent me like a whole massive email, which I will read a little bit out of later, if you don't mind. Because he said, actually, he thought the second half was pretty good. Like he was, was like, the golf, the golfing class is there right now. It's not, it's not terminal um we don't have to be in a death spiral unless we want to be he said he was really impressed and he said it's hard when you're effectively only playing with eight 
players, which we were, because we didn't have a proper goalkeeper. We didn't have Sun and Sessegnon was a disaster, really. So it's not about saying, you know, it's all going to be fine. But I felt much more encouraged after talking to him. And that's not to say that we're not going to massively fuck it up from here, because I'm sure we will. But I actually, I don't feel as bad as I did. So thank you, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think your dad is is right. And I think the second half was a lot better. And I think we had the better chances. Um, I think why everyone is in death spiral mode and why everything seems so bad is that if you're looking at the game in isolation, it's like you just move to the next game and it's not really a big issue, but it kind of, this game kind of felt like a microcosm of like a bigger issue, which is that Mm. our rival who we'd beaten last season to the Champions League, which felt really important for the future of both clubs, went out and behaved like the team that had gone into the Champions League. And we didn't. And they've entrusted this coach in with young players, with funds, in a way that we didn't. And I think people sort of have finally sort of woken up to that fact. And it's really quite painful. like as a Spurs fan to see like that happen. Um, So I think that's why everyone's sort of losing their minds, which I completely get Um, the game. Yeah. Like the, there was a massive golf in class in my opinion, but like when Kulisevsky and like Harry woke up second half, like we were in the game. We just didn't put our chances away. That's like the reality of it. Yeah. There was a, there was a 15 minute spell wasn't there where we needed to score and the game could have become quite different. You know, I've I've got mixed feelings about the second half because I feel like Arsenal went into managing the clock, managing the game mode. You know, they've done the damage. They, you know, I think what happened at our stadium last season was very much on their minds and they wanted to be as professional as possible and they were making sure they were, you know, time-wasting where they needed to. They They were running the ref the entire game in a way that I couldn't even be mad at, really. I thought it was actually... You know, no, sort of Fer- were, Fergie United, brilliant. Wenger Arsenal <laughs> sort of perfect. style. They were it was the perfect away performance, really. You know, you, you have to doff your caps. I was I was really, really, really horribly impressed. You absolutely by... don't have to doff your caps. Just, just <laughs> throw that cap away, Charlie, right now. Burn it. <laughs> and you know, and I I think to a to a degree they were sort of happy to let us have the ball for a bit in the second half and sit back and you know, they they could kind of counter at will and you know, Saka probably should have scored and to be fair to Hugo in a way that I'm fairly sure in a few seconds we won't be fair to Hugo. He made a really smart stop when Saka was in. Um, but you can't have first halves like this and you can't keep giving yourselves mountains to climb. Something is rotten at the heart of these performances. You know, that's, what is it, five defeats out, four or five defeats out of either five or six league games at home now. That's terrible like really 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 bad um not to mention the fact that we just give teams a goal or two head start in pretty much every single match we play by that palace one it's it's mad and yeah i mean you're completely right rosa in the sense that we were playing with sort of eight or nine max functional footballers because the the difference in some of our players to their players was just mind-boggling really when you consider where we were last May when we played them um I mean Larice, I think to I think we have to talk about Hugo briefly 
if it was me, I would put him on the bench now. I don't, you know, that's two home games in a row where he's thrown the ball in his own net, essentially, and given us mountains to climb. If he, if he was a player that wasn't the goalkeeper, that wasn't the club captain, that wasn't a sort of 10-year club legend, he wouldn't be playing in the next game. And I don't necessarily, therefore, see why he should play in the next game, just because he is the club captain. Like, What was the last one he threw the ball in the net for? Sorry, Literally the last home game. Aston Villa. <laughs> so he did that, but then he also, I think he also did it at the Emirates. Yes, he did. Yeah, he did he for made Gabriel Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah he he's been he's been a mess this season. I mean, one thing I'll, it's obviously the the decline has, is that that is terminal for Hugo for sure, um, and it's on us that we haven't sorted out a replacement. Um, the recruitment has been poor in that area, but I think. Just if you look back to where we were last May, it does. It just shows you how quickly football can change. Surely, I you guys are not convinced. I, no, I, I, I am, in the, and I and I feel like I've always said that. You know, if you'd have said to us last no, in November 2021 when we sacked Nuno that we would be qualifying for the Champions League in what nine months under Antonio Conte and Hummelson would be winning the Golden Boot, you know, we all would have looked at each other like we were maniacs. Of course. And we are only halfway through the season and that was only one result. Yada, yada, yada. I think there's absolutely a sort of half, a glass half full way of approaching what's going on. Of course, we've been without Bentoncourt. Richarlison has barely played, let alone played in his best positions. You know, Kulisevsky's been injured, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's tons of stuff that might suggest that we could go on a run. Maybe, I don't know. But it just feels like those sort of jungle drums have started up around the con around content. It feels like the, to me just, I think there was a report in the mail that we were sharing in our group where it seems like the club are already starting to put stuff out about, well, actually it's not a question of whether we want Antonio content. We're desperate for Antonio content to sign a new contract. We're actually not very happy with, you know, the performances and the results. And actually, you know, it might be us that pull the trigger on him, not the other way around. It just all feel it's got that sort of really miserable Spurs sort of you know we've we've been here before, right? Yeah, we have, which is like why it's really worrying. But I also think that Conte and the players getting us Champions League last year kind of actually is probably the outlier of like the previous few seasons because we've yeah. been really poor for a while and we've watched the decline of. Delhi now Hugo possibly Son as well which would probably be the most painful of all of them to witness in full but I just think as a club we now have like a decision to make about like what we wish to be in the future Mm. and you know (laughs) during the game I think when the second Arsenal goal went in just after that I sort of walk to get like a drink at halftime which I never do I, I don't think I've ever left like before the halftime whistle but I was so annoyed and I sort of just listening to people like speak and I, there is just a general apathy about like where we're headed which I think that this result sort of encapsulated so I just think like Levy Enoch in general sort of we just have to decide like what we're doing. And I think that probably ends with like Pochettino coming back, which I'm personally not for. Um, But I just think that's where we're headed. 
Um, and yeah, I, I can't pretend I'm not like worried about the future. Like that's it. No, Ash, I'm totally with you on that. As you know, I'm not, and I'm not hundred percent in agreement with you about sort of Levy and Enoch and all that, but I, I agree. It just right at this current moment, it feels like the return of Poch is inevitable. And to be honest, I've just, I can't be bothered. I just can't be fucking bothered. I, I'm so, I'm sick of the managerial merry-go-round. You know, I've said this so many times. I, I bore myself. I don't think we should have sacked him, but we did. And you just have to move on. Just you've got to move on. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if Conte doesn't want to stay because he's had a pretty awful time of it actually in London. Like he came back and he got us over the line in the Champions League. And then everybody basically forgot about it five minutes later. And then like the man he's been working with for 30 years, one of his closest friends fucking died. And then inevitably, like one of the things my dad said to me, he was like, it's clear that Arsenal were fitter than us, right? And so you're just like, well, there's an obvious correlation. Our fitness coach died. They were The players were very close to him. Um, everybody is hysterical about Arsenal. There's no sense that Conte did anything good for us. There's a weird like resentment about him. He's not, he doesn't live with his family at the moment. And you just, I, you know, if I were him, I'd be like, why am I even bothering? They're like, I don't know. And I, th- I think he's, he's, giving that off a bit as well right and you know, I can't I think, and I actually yeah, I can't yeah, blame I think him. we There's understand why weird chat about him like he's not very like you know we've we've talked about this right people saying he's you know a, a dick and whatever and it's just like there's no evidence for that there's no evidence to suggest he's anything other than like a, a quite a dignified man and I think all of the talk about him and all of and just kind of endless reports in the media and stuff. It just makes me feel like we're like a really mean club and I'd really don't like it. I don't like us like this. So, you know, if he wants to fuck off, I really couldn't blame him. Sorry, Ash, you go. No, I, I, I'm, I, I think Conte should go now, like whether he's sacked or walks, but, and I'm, I'm a huge Conte fan and I want him to stay because I think him going doesn't solve anything I don't think we're going to get a better manager and I think it lets Levy off the hook and we'll be back here in 12 to 18 months having this exact same conversation but I think just for like the good of everyone like he has to go now because we're not we're not going anywhere under him which is a shame but that's what it's got to and it's very 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 annoying that it's Arteta that is like the one that's going to like finish him off <laughs> I'll be honest I don't think it's impossible that we that we do go places under Conte I don't think just football's just a weird game and things change really really quickly uh, and if people decide that that's what you but everybody has to say this is what we're doing and, if, that's, and that's, that's my probably, issue that's probably not going to happen I guess yeah. I know it sort of feels mad to be talking about Conte as an option when I feel like over the next couple of games he will probably go but it's not, I just, I just think there's a world where that doesn't have to happen. I guess that is not the world oh, we are living I'm, in right I'm, now. I'm with you a hundred percent. Like I, there's definitely a world where that doesn't have to happen, but that means the club deciding on a direction, sticking mm. to it and backing the manager. Like it's funny. Arteta has been in, in far worse situations than the one that like Conte and Spurs mm. currently yeah. find themselves in. And 
Arsenal's response to that was to just hand him a new contract. Yeah, They're exactly. Like, Here you go. Here's a new contract. We're and even things like they, they bombed out Aubameyang. You know, Arteta yeah. said, this guy's causing trouble. Two minutes later, he's on a plane to Barcelona without the club needing a transfer fee to get rid of him. They've just, you know, they've done whatever he's felt they need to do. Have we done that for, you know, one of the best we, managers in the world? We we haven't done that mm. under any manager. Yeah. Not, this isn't, a, I don't think yeah. this is exclusive to mm-hmm. Conte. I think, you know, the only reason that Pochettino was allowed to bomb out, you know, the Adebayors and... Kabul's and... Yeah, the Kabuls of this world was because the, the alternatives that came in were kids mm. who cost less money. And when, you know, Mourinho tried to do the same to Delhi, like everyone lost their minds. And it's not just like, truthfully, I don't think it's just about Enoch or Levy. It's also us as a fan base, like collectively. Mm-hmm. Like, do we have re- in reality the patience to like see through like, what Pochino was telling us was necessary, like God knows how long ago. Cause like our, like Arteta, like for some, for whatever reason, Arsenal fans, some of them anyway, have had that patience and they've allowed him to do this job. I just, I don't know, like sitting in the South stand at half time, people were just like, Conte's got to go. Mm. And I don't know. I just don't think we've got it in us to do it. And, you know, I think I was reading that Guardian story by uh, by Jonathan Liu, where he was talking about, you know, Conte and Spurs being a poor match and Spurs sort of deserving a manager that um, identifies with the club, you know, properly in a way that Conte as a bit more of a transient sort of careerist just doesn't and he sees Tottenham as beneath him. A ton of stuff that I don't actually agree with and I think Conte arrived at Spurs with the best possible intentions. I don't think he's, I personally, perhaps this is naive, don't think that he arrived thinking, I'll just do this for a bit. I'll, you know, take 15 million a year and then I'll bounce after 12 months when PSG or Juventus or whatever come calling. I think he absolutely wanted this to work out. Whether or not it's the, you know, the right decision for him to inevitably probably go in the next little while, who knows? But you're completely right, both of you, in that the club now have a decision to make in terms of deciding once again, because, <laughs> you know, it's we have to do this every 18 months, apparently, and decide what it is they are. Because, you know, in this article, Lou talks about, you know, Spurs being a club that should be identifying the next great manager and doubling down on, you know, young talent and playing sort of, you know, front foot, dynamic, pressing football. Fine, of course, but... Like Ash says, do we as a club have the patience for that? Do we as a fan base have that have that patience? You know, I think part of it, to my mind, comes down to the stadium and the fact that we opened the stadium. We were told that, you know, untold riches and success would follow. And we're sat in this sort of gleaming, extraordinary stadium watching the team sort of, well, apart from last year, get worse constantly. It's just... But, None but of it why? seems to make any sense, right? I don't I don't I don't really get why Spurs should be identifying the next great manager and building a team of young players when they're in the Champions League and their rivals are going after players that are like worth 60 and 70 million in each window, every window. But Spurs for some reason is like some kind of like nursery for like these young players to like grow up in. And it's like, <laughs> I'm not really here for that. 
Like that was what got us to this point. But it's like, then you have to change tact. But I suppose, do we, are we now at a point though where we do need to hit reset? You know, we're talking about Lloris, we're talking about, you know, a lot of the sort of holdovers from the Poch era and us needing to just start from scratch. Do we need to do that by going out and looking at some of the players that perhaps we wouldn't have looked at in the last couple of years because we've, you know, had ideas above that? Like, do we, do we need to get a manager in who is going to, you know, it's be happy to work it? with the Jed Spencers and be happy to, you know, accept a load of sort of 21, 22 year olds and build a team. I guess, you know, basically what Poch did. And I suppose what, you know, we, if you are going to sort of back Daniel Levy, you could say in one sense, well, he did have the patience to give Pochettino the sort of the club and to build a club in his image. But then, on the other hand, of course, you can say, but then we didn't sign a player for 18 months when we were on the precipice of really doing something. And as ever with Tottenham, we never seem to actually hammer home our advantage. We only ever seem to sort of put our hands in our pockets or, you know, do something when it's all gone to shit. That's that's always been my biggest problem with Enoch is like, we never build from a position of strength. It's just when things, are they just panic and throw money after bad, basically. And it's really frustrating. And I'm sort of having a bit of a Spurs panic attack, I guess. <laughs> but they also, they don't, they don't want to sit through any of the bad times. They just... <sighs> Which is why they've, I guess, it's gone so, for these sort of sticking plaster celebrity managers, right? Because they, I think, I think Daniel Levy got it into even... his head with, after Poch, it was like, this is an amazing team. It just needs a sort of super manager like Jose to come in and then I won't have to do much more. I don't, I don't have to like go and spend 200 million a transfer window because I've got Mourinho and this team got to the Champions League final. So they must be amazing. And I think there's been some sort of weird wall pulled over his eyes or maybe that's being too kind on him. But I just feel like he thinks that all he has to do is just hire a really famous manager and everything will be okay. And actually that's just a weird shortcut and you're taking the sort of easy option because, you know, if you've got, we do have money, you can go and give a Mourinho or a Conte 15 million quid a year and they're probably going to say yes and they're probably going to be happy for six months before the reality of who they're working for kind of kicks in, I guess. But they don't have the patience for, you know, they just don't, they clearly don't have the patience for anything. That's, you know, whether it's Conte, whether it's even Pochettino sort of rebuild, they don't have the patience for any of it. It's maddening. But I don't think we, but we don't know that to be honest, because we, because Jose said when he got here, he like assessed the squad and was like, actually, this squad is not good enough. And, and Conte said the same thing, I'm pretty sure. And like, Jose didn't walk, he got sacked. So we don't know that he didn't want to stick it out, actually. And no, I'm not talking about Jez. I'm talking about oh, okay. the club. Not, yeah, no, not, no. Right. Yeah. Okay, sure. Um, no, the club, definitely. The club, the whole thing to me just feels like we're just stuck in this. Like, you know, you at some point you got to grow up and just appreciate that sometimes you're going to go through rough periods in life and things are not going to go your way and some quite dark stuff is probably going to happen and you can't just run away every time I'm so tired of it man I just 
Just stop well, doing it, the same fucking thing, expecting different results. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not. I mean, do you feel like Levy enjoys using managers as a human shield in these situations? Because yes. I do. <laughs> I think that yeah. it's very convenient for him to have, you know, to have these managers that he can point to and go, well, you know, it's not working. So therefore it's just their fault. And then he lurches to sort of plan but X that, that, and we that, move on. That's why Levy should appoint himself manager. So that he's <laughs> then front and center and he's going to get the blame because we can't keep doing this. Like there's been an insane amount of managers under Enoch and Conte will be the, Conte is the fourth manager in four years. And there's likely to be a fifth around the corner, like whether that's in two weeks time or in six months time. I but, mean, it's mad. Like Conte likely won't have completed a full season as no. Spurs manager, like Mourinho. It's, and that's exactly just ridiculous, mad. to be honest. And the problem is us. Like, look, I, I, I have some sympathy with people who don't like the football that Conte wants to play. And I have some sympathy with people who are like, why does he keep playing this crazy formation? Because we get so overrun in midfield. It clearly doesn't work. I don't know why he is. I, I don't know why he isn't more flexible. But at the same time, this is actually madness. This is madness. Like, it's not, it made sense to kind of keep sacking managers when our managers were Jerry Francis, Christian Gross. <laughs> he lasted a while. <laughs> I know, I know. Jerry Francis lasted a long old time. Pre-Enoch, pre, pre I guess. Yeah, I know. But do you know what I mean? Like, it makes sense if those are the kind of managers you're churning through or, like, you only want Tim Sherwood here for six months, whatever. But this is just silly. This is really it's silly. Absurd. I sort of, yeah. I... It's absurd. I, I agree. And and then you've got, it. what's really quite telling is we're now back talking about Levy, Conte, whether they're staying, they're disagreeing over things. And it's like, Levy told us that he was nowhere near anything to do with the footballing side of Tottenham. <laughs> I, I think about 18 months ago, and suddenly, like, Paratici, he's nowhere to be seen, like, at all. Mm. And Levy's back in the... It's like, what is going on? At some stage, like, he has to just stay out of this stuff. And he's not going to because it's now been 20-plus years of operating in this way. And nothing is going to change because, I guess, from a business sense, it's actually working fairly well. And, so you know, I suppose... I suppose, yeah, if you're looking at it and playing sort of devil's advocate, we're not, you know, in Everton situation. We are fifth in the league. We're in the Champions League knockouts. There are plenty of things, as, you know, as Rosa and Rosa's dad very wisely pointed out, you know, we could easily turn this round. There's nothing to say that the season is lost. We're only halfway through. It's not terrible. Enoch have, you know, turned us into, they've sort of dragged us up the sort of administrative totem pole. We are you know, a certain size club now. So it's not all terrible, right? And there are plenty of people I know that don't want new ownership, et cetera, et cetera. But Ash, is it like, what What do we do? Like, what, do, what, you, I, do you think that, and this, this is a genuine question. I know I'm like fairly negative about the ownership, but do you think that Spurs, knowing that in the summer they might have to, along with all the other positions that we know need upgrading, replace Hugo to the required level, potentially replace Son and Kane, because all <laughs> those questions are going to be asked. 
you have to replace those players at a top level. And I think I've said it before on this podcast, but we keep downgrading the squad and expecting like the same results. And it's not fair on the managers. And I think Pochino can come back. And I think a lot of people will be really happy about that. And and it, from, in a romantic sense, I'm really happy for them because it's a really <laughs> beautiful story. But I think he's going to face like the same challenges that he had towards the end of his tenure. And yeah, it's just, I don't really, I think why I'm so annoyed is that I don't know where we go from here. And I think a lot of people are feeling that at the ground. I suppose, again, I'm playing devil's advocate because we need to debate all sides to this, right? But I, and Rosa touched on it in terms of people being pretty desperately unhappy with the quality of football, the style of football, and now the results as well, right? So I, I do agree. I think it's mad that we're, you know, we went into a North London derby after two and a half transfer windows with Conte and Matt Dirty and Ryan Sessegnon are his wing backs, and wing backs are arguably the two most important players in a Antonio Conte system. But is it fair to say that we should be expecting more from the team in terms of performance? And you know, for whatever reason, I don't. It, I would. I personally would find it hard to pinpoint a player in this group who has improved this season, either versus last year or what we saw from them at their old club. And I'm thinking there of like Richarlison's and Basuma's and people like that. Do we feel like something has gone wrong with Conte and this group of players, whether it be he's disengaged, whether it be the players are, you know, ignoring him because they don't like the style of football or they don't like the intensity of the training sessions, whatever it is. Can we agree or does someone want to put forward a different argument that something has gone quite badly wrong on the pitch and, whatever is happening above Conte and around Conte, we can and should be expecting more from him as an elite manager. I think we obviously have gone backwards. That's true. I think we've been quite unlucky also. I think football, you know, a lot of the time you you do need luck and we have had no luck really. And we've also had some terrible luck. I don't think anyone could have predicted what was going to happen to Sun this season. Mm. Um, players like, like obviously Larice, the decline that should have been sorted. So we've haven't helped ourselves there. I think yeah, obviously players like Dyer have gone backwards. Um, you know, and then but then we haven't and we haven't seen enough of Kulisevsky this season or Richarlison, or you know, we've we missed out on Bentoncourt as well. So, and Romero, actually, we've had a lot of injuries and a lot of people just kind and the of, world, you know, the World Cup. And the World, the Cup. World Cup. So I just think these things take time. It's not, I think we can turn it around. I don't think it will be easy at all. And I don't think two and a half transfer windows is a huge amount of time either. If you're talking about a squad that really does need to be rebuilt. And we all know it does. It's just a question of having the patience and the kind of courage to see it through, really. And I don't think anyone at the sort of top level of the club has that, unfortunately, which I think think is a real shame, actually. I suppose the other thing, and again, this is not necessarily my view at all. I would like nothing more than Antonio Conte to kick on and turn this around. But, you know, 
is his reticence to sign a new deal or commit long term to Spurs? And again, you know, we talk about Arsenal Arteta. It was the opposite there, right? You know, Arteta clearly made it obvious that he would sign up for 35 years if he could and that his whole life was Arsenal. Whatever the you know reality is, Conte doesn't like giving that public impression, right? That's just part of his whole shtick. That's there. not true. Because at isn't some it though? Point, like, but in the sense of like, we qualify for the Champions League, and it, even on the day, it was still yeah. But I'll see if I'm here next season. You know, he, we just need to celebrate also said this. That he would love to stay and build something. That's so he, true. He, but... he switches between both, and the reason that he does, the only reason I believe that he does that is to apply pressure to the board because he knows he's not going to get what he requires. Now, if the board actually like weren't waiting for Conte to blink and were like, you know what, we're going to just back our man regardless, then he wouldn't have to do that. He'd just be like, yeah, of mm. course I'll stay. And I'll move my kid over and I'll eat like lovely Soho Italian pizza. Of course, like <laughs> why he, he lo- clearly loves London. Mm. So I don't, I don't really see like, I don't know. Like, I, I get, he, I get that he gives these different messages, but I think so much of that is actually down to sort of like, Spurs fans and like being really insecure and it's actually just like he's told you he wants to stay now give him the money and let him get on with it but instead people are crying about like whether Judge Spence should start it's like who cares <laughs> it's completely irrelevant he's a child from the championship like I don't care if we never see Spence like, because if that's what Conte wants because you've got to back your manager but also you don't even need to, again, it's not, I don't even feel like it needs to be as black and white as like, you've got to back your manager or not back your manager. Like they're all grown ups. Do you know what I mean? Just get in a room and work out some sort of compromise. Be like, okay, can I have these two players now? And like a couple of other players, like, like but then everybody has to acknowledge that this is going to take time, you know? Yeah. And that, that, that doesn't, that doesn't seem completely unreasonable to me, but. Yeah. I mean, it's just. Arteta had Saliba on loan for two years, despite the fact that they clearly needed him. And he was like, no, 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 trust me. He's getting experience. He's going to come back and he'll be like solid. And that's exactly what's happened because they just trusted him. And my only criticism of something like, say, the Spence situation is actually that that he's just like not on loan Mm. because it's pointless him just training and like not playing at all. But I guess just at a certain point, you just have to commit. So I'm sort of at the stage now where I've accepted that they're going to refuse to commit to this manager. So they should just sack him and we should move on to the next stage and try and win something or get into the Champions League for the rest of the season. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, I, was... I would rather, I would rather commit to this manager, been off the league and just try to just really go for the FA Cup and the Champions League. Just... Why not, man? Just try and win the competitions that you're in. Well, I think, you know, as ever with the Spurs conversation, I guess it always circles back to, circles back rather to, we just have to win something, right? I feel like everything begin, all of our issues, to my mind, kind of begin and end with the fact that we haven't won anything in forever. And this group of players has never, you know, taken that last step. And I think certain certain games like yesterday you can kind of see that like they're just not psychologically they don't have that sort of thing and you know even when Arsenal were 
you know, we were sort of making fun of them. They were still winning FA Cups and, you know, we just have never been that beast where, you know, we've been able to do that. We've been able to sort of manage and spin enough plates. It's always just been, we have to get top four, we have to get top four, we have to get top four. And again, I hate using Arsenal as an example. I really, really do with all my being. But, you know, they've sort of showed this season that it if you don't qualify for the Champions League one season, that doesn't mean that your next few seasons have to be a complete write-off. You know, in a way... They've been out of the Champions League for six seasons it obviously is actually all right you will survive without it in a way you know I'm sure what happened to them at the end of last season you know we obviously loved it and it must have been absolutely horrific if you're an Arsenal fan that collapse last season must have just been so so painful to watch it being Spurs the way that they collapsed blah 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 but you know that seems to have driven them on right that's probably that last little push they needed as a club and as a group to go do you know what we're not fucking up like that again we're going to use that pain to yeah. push us forward. And we just seem to, I don't know what we need, but I would love to see us just prioritise the Cups and to play the best players in those. And if it happens that a league game falls three games before a Champions League match or a Cup game, do you know what? That's when yeah, yeah that's when the B team step up and well, have to take a thrashing, like whatever. I think like, and not to, I mean, like, I hate to like praise Arsenal also, but perhaps like this is like the wake up call that's like needed because they don't have like the oil money or whatever Chelsea's mm. money's coming from. And they're still, they just, all they did was got the board, installed a manager, like who was prepared to like stay and do what was required and give him time and a lot of money. And like, we just, we have to do the same. Mm. Like, Yes, I agree. I agree. I hate I hate to say that they're a blueprint to follow, but they kind of are because they aren't yeah, yeah they aren't driven by petrol billions and all the rest of it. I mean what they I think what they have had that we seem to really struggle with is a coherent sort of youth strategy and they're you know, they're bringing through players in a way that I don't think we are right now, which is a big old issue and perhaps something for another time, but yeah, um, let's let's move on ever so slightly. Um, I don't think we need to massively dissect that football match because, like, what's the point? We've sort of we've sort of done it. We all need to move on collectively. We should look to the next two games. Of course, as everyone's sort of been joking, it would be very very Spurs to now go to the Etihad and beat Man City and further, you know, increase Arsenal's chances of winning the title. Seems a little bit of a stretch this season versus other seasons. I don't seasons. really feel like we have to worry about that, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I don't know that that's going to be a must of an issue on Thursday night. Um, I think that the more interesting fixture for me is the Fulham one in that they're obviously flying right now. Um, you know, a Monday night game under the lights versus a high-flying promoted club seems like the exact fixture where a manager gets sacked in. <laughs> like, that just seems to be perfectly set up for... You know, Spurs lose to City, then go to Craven Cottage and suffer another defeat. And maybe that's because that would be we'd still there'd still be a week of the transfer window. And it doesn't seem like we're anywhere near signing anyone at this point in time, which I imagine is probably on purpose. So then if we lose the next two, they they could sack him on the Monday night on the bus back to that's in North London and in time honoured sort of Levy fashion, probably have Pochettino rocking up 
to Enfield the next morning, I, right? And I, then you've I, got I a week of the transfer window left. I've rolled my oh. eyes so much already throughout this podcast. <laughs> like not like not at you guys, but just that, like the visions that you have conjured up for me. I just I can't be bothered. But I the, mean. It's, the- that's, I mean, that's that it. Like, this about, doesn't seem too far fetched, right? That's the problem. No, but this is the thing about Spurs is that we're so predictable that mm. you can say something <laughs> like that and you know it will happen. It's so obvious. And yeah, I, I can't. I'd be shocked if Conte gets to February. Really shocked. I mean, in a way, what would be more Tottenham is for him to get to February and we waste an entire transfer window on whoever's going to succeed him and not by anyone of any use to the next manager. And then they have to just make do with a, some weird Frankenstein's monster of a squad for the rest of the season. Well, this is it. And then we wonder why managers struggle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's kind of interesting actually, like going to a team like Fulham because, you know, like Marco Silva's a really interesting case, isn't he? Because he was like the sort of hot new thing at Hull. And then kind of got his dream job at Everton and it was a complete disaster because Everton are a basket case. <laughs> and 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 it turns out it's like it's not it's not him as them. Yeah. And the Brighton situation and Graham Potter, you know, it turns out actually Brighton are a decent club and it wasn't just like mm. Graham Potter's sort of magic all over the place. And I I would rather, you know, obviously I don't, I prefer not to think about Arsenal because I think, you know, as you all know, I believe there is a kind of rottenness at the heart of that club that, you know, maybe we won't talk about today, but later again. Um, I think Brighton and Fulham are probably more kind of interesting examples because it just shows that the sort of endless chase for the perfect manager, like, Sometimes you just have to stop and go, there's a problems closer to home. Just stop trying to, I mean, I've said this already, haven't I? Stop, no, no, stop no, trying to do the same thing and expecting different results. But, but you're, you know. but you're right. And like this, going back to sort of like backing the manager and getting his players, the whole reason that you appoint someone like Paratici is to avoid that situation because mm. the coach is empo- like employed by him. So he's just giving you the players and you just have to work with them. So maybe like, the answer isn't to, and this is what worries me about Pochino coming back, is that the reason that I have to watch Sessignon soak around the pitch every other week is because Pochino insisted that we buy him. That was under his watch. So maybe it's just a coach that comes in and Parati just picks the players because he's clearly very good at that. And the signings, that's something to be positive about. The signings so far mm. have largely been really good. Yeah. And are it's, like all in the right direction. It's also an interesting wrinkle to the potential Pochettino return is that he never worked with a director of football or certainly someone in with the sort of remit and power that Paratici had at Spurs. You know, by the end of his Spurs sort of life, I know Steve Hitchin was there, I guess, <laughs> but he wasn't like he Poch's was? boss, like was he? You know, in a way that Paratici would be yeah. senior to Pochettino. Um you know, is he willing to do that? Can he work in that model? I mean, I guess I he, he did at PSG. He won't. Well, 
yeah the previous and, ma- managers so and this is this is the kind of thing we, where it's if like, we throw Paratici out for pot i mean then we're just mental aren't we i mean, I mean as, as you know i just i feel like i really realized nobody at the club really knew what they were doing when they sacked jose Mourinho the week for cup final <laughs> and i thought that they kind of got themselves back on track by getting Paratici. <laughs> um and getting Conte, but it's like you just, we just can't help ourselves, can we? And I just feel like, you know, I, I love, I love Poch like a second dad. And again, the sort of sentimental, soppy part of my, like enormous part of my brain and heart would love nothing more than for him to walk back into the door, scoop us up in those big sort of burly arms and ruffle our hair and tell us it's all going to be okay. Cause I'm an idiot. Lots of us are idiots. But the thing that I can't escape is that it just smacks of that thing where you break up with someone and then you miss them a bit and life sort of post that person is a bit crap for a while and you sort of find your way back to each other and convince yourself that all the things that were wrong in the first instance have have been fixed and that you've both changed and things are going to be different this time and nothing's changed and nothing's different. You're just both a bit sad and miserable and lonely. And so you find each other again and then the same thing happens. And, you know, Potch has just been sort of mooching around sort of Potter's Bar and various sort of North London Greek restaurants. Cock Foster Strip. Cock, yeah, the Cock Foster Let Strip. Let go, Potch. Stop like... around there, mate. It's over. <laughs> Do you know what? Seriously, though, to like extend your analogy, Charlie, Tottenham Hotspur Football Club is like a person who cannot be on their own. Yeah. Like you just go from relationship to relationship. And you know what? Sometimes you've got to be on your own. So it, like, it, it's not very nice. And sometimes it's really miserable and really lonely. And you just be like, I'll oh, just rather be with anyone. This is really depressing. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to do it. You have to have some hard times and then you meet someone who's just much, much better. Is this your way of saying that you want Ryan Mason back and that's us doing it? No, man, he deserves better. Do I want Ryan Mason? No, I want better for him. Like, fly, my little bird, fly. I love you, I set you free. I mean, the other, we should talk briefly about, um, you know, that that Daily Mail story that seems to have broken with a big old whiff of, um, you know, someone at Spurs is now, you know, letting out smoke signals etc etc the other person mentioned and in fact mentioned before potch in that story is thomas tuchel or tuchel i never know if it's tuchel or tuchel um how do we Who feel cares? about he's a dweeb get rid no okay well rose has answered my question there um ash your thoughts on tuchel i think he's a really good manager but i think again it just points to the fact that there isn't really any kind of plan and i'm just sort of sick well, there of is that. a plan because he's He's previously managed Chelsea, so well, they're being consistent to one of their plans that's which is true. to hire every single former Chelsea manager I'm alive. I'm sick of like Chelsea's sloppy seconds. Like I, I just it's want grim, isn't I, it? I want something else. Particularly because um, you know at some point Graham Potter is pitching up. Like you just I would place like everything I own on Graham Potter becoming Spurs manager at some point. I would yeah, like who is the if we're going back to I can't remember who said it about the next, was it the Guardian? But it's like, well, who's the next like Tuchel? Mm. Why don't we target them instead of going for the person that like has just also been Tuchel Chelsea. has a history of falling out with every single board and chairman that he's ever worked with. So that I mean, again, but most of these top managers do, which is yeah. why like people's complaints about Conte are so absurd 
because it's like well Mourinho does um and the only person that I think like really doesn't is Pep and that's because like they just bought his entire board ahead ahead <laughs> yeah the they got all his mates well, basically bought Barcelona's but entire he, sacked, yeah. he fell out with the whole medical staff do you remember so well, they've always as a team, yeah that. he like okay. properly which actually maybe needs to happen at Tottenham let's be honest um <laughs> with all our problems yeah so they all they always need somebody to fight with these people that's just what they're like it's a mental job and they're all really like aggressive weird characters in the end um do we think that there's any chance Spurs get results versus City and then Fulham Ash have you got any predictions for me for those two games uh, I think they'll get a result in one of them. Yeah, God knows which one. Knowing Spurs, it'll be Man City. But the the football in the second half, honestly, was good. And you know, if Sessegnon or Kulusevski or Richardson puts away a, ch- a chance, I honestly think like we would have got something because Arsenal would have collapsed. But, but I, think, so, I think the crowd, the crowd would have yeah. come alive, and the whole the whole Tom, you know, tone of the place would have just changed one goal is all it takes and that should show you that if we just if we can just hold our nerve i mean i know we won't but if we can we'll just start we can turn it around first half just play a first half of football just come out and just play a first half of football tottenham i mean yeah hopefully it sounds like benson core is pretty much like going to be there for at least one of these games we're going to get better because i don't get better i don't think it can get much worse than it's been recently mm. and i think kulisevsky coming back immediately is an improvement um yeah. perisic hopefully will start bensicles back the emergence of sar is really exciting so things will get better and hopefully there's like one or two players that come in and make some kind of difference so listen we're going to finish top six like it's not going to be a d- disaster of a season like we will play european football next year um, but obviously we had really high hopes like going mm. into the season. That's yeah. Just, and I just, I just away. really, I just, you know, for me, I hope that we do hold our nerve that we don't sack him because I do think that, you know, say like they did just buy Poro, for example, and suddenly you've got a right wing back who is a specialist in that position. You know, I mean, I can't remember Matt Doherty against Arsenal actually doing any like this isn't yeah, even a does. like it's not even a necessarily a sort of anti-Matt Doherty thing it's just more like he just cannot compete as a wing back against top opposition and for an Antonio Conte team to be remotely relevant you have to have players that can get up and down and create and get past people and do all that stuff so say we actually had someone in that position and we had Benton Coe back and you have Richarlison perhaps you know, playing off the left and Sonny sits on the bench for a while and maybe I becomes... I that absolutely has to happen. Yeah, that yeah, surely sure. is... Um... Yeah, there's, there's there's loads of things that are going to change. Like, mm. you know, even the... Not to... I know we've spoken about the game, but one of the biggest issues was that we can't play out from the back because Hugo can't play out from the back. So yeah. you change the goalkeeper, whether it be like now or next year, and it changes the entire de- dynamic of the team. Yeah. Because it just it again it it sets the tone like the defenders become nervy you know there was points and it's a shame Tom's not here because he was doing an excellent bit in our text group earlier about how infuriating it is to watch Hugo sort of 
have two of the centre-backs like behind him from when the goal kicks are being taken, neither of whom particularly want the ball in these situations because everyone's a bit scared and, you know, scared of making a mistake and whatever. So, and then we would like so many times in the first half, he would sort of say, oh, scrap that. Like, I'm not going to take a short goal kick. I'm just going to chip it long. Of course, his long kicking isn't very good either. So inevitably just went straight to an Arsenal centre-back who could just chest it down and then because they were pressing us so high, like five of their players were in our sort of, basically in our box and they could just bypass our midfield. It, the whole thing just was, you know, it's, it's you don't want to be too mean about Hugo for many, many reasons, but it you can't, you can't be a good team with a goalkeeper that has this many issues now. You just, you just can't. So I would love to see Forster play a few games. I know I said that at the top of this podcast, but I and I doubt that will happen. I can't see Conte dropping Lloris, but I just can't see it being any worse than it is right now. Um, Rosa, do you have any hopes for the next two games? Any predictions you want to give me? Um, I don't have any predictions. I think we'll be all right. But can I just read you some of my dad's email? Because it's really oh, nice. Of and course I think you can. Yeah. And I do I do feel like, you know, people, there will be people who will just be like, what's he talking about? He's lost his mind. But I actually feel very calmed by it. Um, so he said, if you look at the team, it's quite clear what needs doing. We need a new goalkeeper, a new right back, a new left back, a new central defender, a creative midfielder, and at least one new striker. So that's, that's quite a lot. But it's the kind of thing that over time you would hope we can do. Um, he also says Conte seems to me to be a really good man, despite what everybody says. He doesn't he doesn't whinge, is usually quite graceful and dignified when we lose. Whenever he talks about the players, he talks about them as decent people that he likes and respects. And I feel like that's not important to everyone. I feel like that's quite important to me, especially in the context of other teams and other players. Um and he finally says we have we do have a great manager. That's just a fact with a proven track record and a number of good players. Some are getting on a bit, but some who are quite young. No reason at all to panic, let alone get vitriolic towards the players or the manager. So I just feel quite like, thanks, dad. That's, that's would, like, would, to me, that's like a hug. Yeah. <laughs> and I would love for some calm to descend over Spurs and for you know, leaving not to use another manager as a human shield to deflect, you know, blame away from him and for everyone to chill out, for Conte to get, you know, a 2023 version of Benton Kerr and Kulisewski walk through the door in January. And, you know, because again, like, look at the effect that those two had, you know, last season, you know, we were in the mud this time they last year. They took us to fourth. They took us we to were, fourth, We basically. were awful. Even after, just after they joined, we had that, now, we mentioned on last last week's podcast, we had that awful week where we lost to, what was it, Southampton in the week and then Wolves at the Wolves, weekend. Yeah. And they were, you know, I remember, Lee, I'll never forget that bleakness I felt leaving. It was so cold. I just remember how cold it was at that Wolves game particularly. It was just one of those really grey sort of your bones are cold days. Just thinking like, I can't even see us ever scoring another goal, let alone finishing in the top four. And, you know, within a couple of weeks, it was all, it was all fine again and we were beating Man City away and you know again if we sign a right wing back maybe it's someone like Trossard comes in and gives a bit of spark and who knows like but it might not be as bleak as we're all feeling in the aftermath of a game you know yeah. quite as bad as no, it's, and it's, it's fine to feel points. terrible as well sorry Ash no 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 no, no. You're, you're absolutely right and 
ultimately it's it's three I know that Arsenal is the one like and it is for most Spurs mm-hmm. fans but it's three points yeah and, like we're five points off fourth and like we have to like put a serious run together yeah like now regardless of like who's who's in charge it just mm-hmm. has to happen yeah and it's doable it's doable man and like you know that game was all losing that game you know we haven't lost at home to Arsenal for it was nine years we'd gone without losing at home so you know it's a long time it was the Tim Sherwood season we did last... lose in the cup under Poch oh yeah uh, league cup whatever but like a, a league a league game you know it's a long time since we've sort of felt that sting and... it hurts man and it's okay like I'm I'm not I'm gonna validate everybody's feelings like that's all right because I felt it as well and I didn't get any sleep last night it took, like I was saying to you guys earlier it took me a really long time <laughs> to get to sleep and then I woke up really early and I couldn't get back to sleep and I was really upset about it and I'll be upset about it for a while I think it really it really stings mm. and that's okay I think that has to be okay but we also have got to move forward as well yeah I and think I don't think the... I don't think that game sorry just one last thing I no, don't no, think that I think at least what we can say is that game is probably you know if we'd won they are still quite clear in the league even if we'd won so it's not like that loss has kind of necessarily affected the title particularly it would have just made us feel better and we don't and it's really painful <laughs> i think if <laughs> we can, if we we can, can ride move out, forward from this i think if we can ride out the next because it's what is it it's city then fulham then preston then city again you know those are four huge huge games you know even the preston game now suddenly feels like a bit of a banana skin and christ knows he'll even be managing us by then at the moment it feels like it could be anyone so it's so hard to predict what's going to happen or how things are going to sort of roll in the next few days, even, or even by the time we publish this podcast, they might have sacked him and Pochettino could be, you know, subject to some flashy social media. During the podcast, outdating everything we've just spoken about. (laughs) (laughs) I did just check just in case. (laughs) Phew. He's okay. Um, Let's talk quickly about, I say quickly, it's not because I don't want to talk about Spurs women at length, I do, but they also endured another quite sort of damaging in the sense that Villa, kind of a team that we should be at least as good as, but their recruitment seems to have been really, really impressive. Ours is hopefully getting better in that Razor, as you're going to talk about, our brand new flashy signing did have a positive day, but ultimately in vain. Yeah, it was it was great, though. I mean, yeah, so Beth England scored on her debut, which is exactly what you want. It was wonderful. And it came basically from our first attack. Um, so 20 minutes. Was it 20 minutes in or 40 minutes in? Sorry, that's really terrible. I should have checked. Anyway, at some point during the first half, we'd been soaking up all the pressure and we hadn't really got out of our half. And then we it was our first attack pretty much. And she scored and it was lovely to see. Um, then they equalised um, and took the lead quite soon after that and didn't really look back. I feel it's I feel sort of positive, but it also is one of those things where you know, are you really, again, are you really trying to tell me Conte is the problem when there are obviously issues with recruitment at all levels of our club? Um, But I think 
at least that's the sort of the villa model has been really good they've signed a lot of good players a lot of sensible players although some of those players are getting on a bit whereas beth england is actually a perfect signing because she's 28 so she's still sort mm. of peak years um I'm I just I think it will be all right. I think we'll be all right for the rest of the season. I don't think we're going to do great things. Um, but I don't think we're going to get drawn into any sort of relegation battle because there's only one relegation place and that looks like it's probably going to be Leicester, who we are playing next. So maybe big, I'll change big, my mind. A big mind game next then. It's is a that, big is game. That a home game? Got, it is at home, and then we've got to play um Chelsea like three times over the next like two weeks or something i've um i've not been you know following spurs women for for a particularly long time but i swear to god every season there is a spell where we have to play chelsea three times in about six days yeah it happened last season season. yeah now we've been drawn against them in the league cup basically so that's a real so we've got to play them then and then we've got to play them in the league and then after that we've got man united and they could potentially win the league actually so that's at the that that's at our state that's at that's at our stadium. stadium and i'm in two minds about going to see it because i'd like to go and i'd like to i'd quite like to see all of those lionesses i guess but i also don't really want to see us lose miserably so it's a tricky one i don't know i feel like i'm gonna sort of stop moaning about spurs women because i'm i think beth england is going to be absolutely brilliant for us and it will probably because obviously ash neville's still suspended so i think we'll look different when mm. the two of them play together um and Let's just see how it kind of plays out. I don't, you know, again, we've got, we've gone backwards, but we're sort of moving again in the right direction, I think. So, I've I mean, just... you would, you would like to think that sort of smashing the league's transfer record is the sign of, you know, things to come. Yeah. It just of can't course, stop there, basically. Yeah. And, you know, it being Spurs, we've seen enough really, really bad Spurs teams with really good strikers. So, my concern is that they're like, ah, oh, but look, we have this lovely bauble for you to enjoy, but yeah. the rest of the tree is sort of falling to bits. But hopefully that's not the case. And No, you know, and I think st- we do have better players than that, for sure. And I think some yeah. of the recruitment's been all right, actually. I think it's just taken some time for a lot of them to bed in. And we mm. still have a lot of players due to come back from injury, which is a much bigger problem in the women's game than it is even in the men's, to be honest. There's like literally like... I don't know, like a fifth of the league out with ACL injuries. Oh, so it's it's like the numbers are ridiculous. It's really worrying. Um, it also feels to me, and again, I'm saying this perhaps ignorantly, but the women's, um, the WSL season seems so stop-starty. Like it, it is. Just, and I, I know we've had a few postponed games and stuff like that, but it seems like weeks go by without anything. And then they suddenly play a clutch of like three games in a week or whatever and then nothing again for just doesn't seem to have any sort of rhythm to the season I don't know if that's a just a Spurs specific thing or it's really tricky actually because I I look at it and I feel the same way but actually there's all sorts of because there's so many plans I think um I think like UEFA and FIFA have loads of plans to kind of add in like a bunch of more international tournaments but actually it seems like the players and managers are saying there's actually too much and you can't put that much pressure on all of these players because they're just, there aren't enough of them actually Mm. playing at that high level. So while the season does seem quite stop start because the league isn't as big, I don't, so I think it, it does affect the rhythm, but I actually don't necessarily think 
you want kind of more games closer together. I'm not sure it's yeah. something it's it's one of those sort of interesting things that the, the sort of differences between the men's and women's game is is quite stark in that way, mm. actually, just in terms of the sort of level that everyone is playing at and the support. I mean, the sort of support that different teams get varies massively. So you can't just expect everybody to play the same number of games as they do kind of in the yeah. men's tournaments and it'll be fine. But Yeah. It's more yeah, it's more just um they don't seem that evenly spaced out, I guess. It's not necessarily I want to, I want them to play more just um at regular intervals. But again, I am learning and um we're going to the Man United game as a family. Oh, I'm, I'm oh, quite yeah. excited about Oh maybe that. I'll come then. Yeah. yeah. I'm just I feel like I also would quite like to see, you know, like Alessia Russo. That'd be fun. Mm, yeah. And I'm like really very excited about seeing Beth England and yeah. just, you know. I guess that'll be one of the first games that her and Ash Neville will be yeah. sort of lining up together. So yeah, I feel like there's there's yeah, there's plenty of reasons for optimism with Spurs women. I think this is clearly a bit of a transition season, and you know, God, really I know, and this is those. annoying, isn't it? Because we've done it yeah, exactly, we've done it so many times, <laughs> and we thought it's like, oh, we thought we were going to kick on, but here we are again. Yeah. But you know, that's we again, we're very used to that, so it feels well, you know, what we're we really complaining about. We should be really used to it. Yeah. Hopefully Arsenal don't win the men and women's double because that would be quite annoying as well. But yeah, come on, Chelsea. <laughs> I mean, United actually, yeah, United could yeah. do it. United could do it in both actually. Yeah, you never maybe. know. You never know. <laughs> you um, know, imagine if United saved us again. That'd be quite funny. After yeah, all of those years really is like the nineties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about something far, 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 far happier. Let's talk about culture. Um. Ash, I feel like it's been a while since we've had any wonderful Ash recommendations. Can you give us some some stuff, please, mate? Oh, God, pressure. Um, I have been reading an amazing book uh, about rap music in Atlanta uh, called Rap Capital, which is written by uh, Joe Coscarelli, I think his name is, who's like one of the New York Times uh, music writers and yeah it's just incredible it's like a, a history of rap music from like the early to mid 90s up until the present day and yeah he's just sort of like hanging out in studios and strip clubs which is like a big thing in atlanta eating chicken wings and <laughs> sure dream life yeah. in it mate yeah it's just completely <laughs> normal um but yes yeah, it's, it's really really good and like i highly recommend it like i've been like glued to this book and it's like my new year's resolution to like read far more books which it is every year and i fail after like february um but i'm getting through them slowly slowly rosa i feel like you're our kind of reader in chief i too am vowing and i have to sort of read quite a bit for work but i want to read more for pleasure i've got two small children i have a job and other stuff what tips would you give to for a busy man like myself to read more for 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 pleasure um wait until your youngest is about three okay and then right. you I'll will in, have I'll see time in and energy two and three quarter years okay we'll yeah revisit that's, that honestly because that's just what's happened to me <laughs> like I didn't really read a lot for I haven't read very much at all for the past sort of six years while my children have been really small and now my youngest is nearly three and a half and I just suddenly have so much more time and and I've been able to just read so much more in the last few months than I have done in the last few years. And it 
is wonderful. So yeah, I actually have a book to recommend as well. So Claire Keegan, um, oh my God, what, how have I forgotten the name of this book already? That's really embarrassing. Small things like these. And it was on the Booker shortlist last year, I believe. Mm. Um, and it's set in Ireland in the early eighties. It's um, about a sort of family man and living in a small town and he discovers well everyone sort of knows there's a kind of mother and baby home sort of magdalene laundry um one of those one of those sort of institutions where they sent ostensibly sort of fallen women and but it just sort of ended up being anyone who had kind of fallen foul of sort of the strict morals of the time and his sort of gradual realization that he needs to do something about it. It's like, um, it's just so, so, so beautifully written and completely heartbreaking and also inspiring. One of those small books that makes you want to be a better person. <laughs> so, which is a really, which is sort of the best compliment I can yeah. pay a writer. Wow. Really, I thought it was it was so wonderful, but also sent me on a sort of weird rabbit hole, kind of finding out about all of the sort of terribly dark and evil institutions that women were put in in Ireland over the last sort of century or so. So I haven't had sort of the cheeriest. This was supposed to be. This was supposed it. to be I know, uplifting. I'm really sorry, but <laughs> it is uplifting if, like, beautiful writing is uplifting to you, which it is to me. So, actually, that's another tip: just have slightly older children and read really short books. There, there you go. go. There you go. <laughs> I, I appreciate that advice. Um, I am going to talk briefly about the menu, which I watched the movie um, directed by I don't know how to pronounce Mark my my lords my lords surname m-y-l-o-d he's um he directs episodes of succession and game of thrones and this is i think his sort of breakout movie moment he's got ray fines as a sort of um kind of notoriously perfectionist super chef that has this restaurant on this sort of private island and it's 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 sort of a it is a horror film it's it kind of completely changes tone halfway through. It's like two different movies. And the second half is, Ash, have you seen it? I haven't, but I was like scrolling for something to watch and I really wanted to watch it. And then it looked a bit scary. I was like, this is like a Sunday <laughs> night. I'll come back to it. I wouldn't say it's scary. It's more sort of shocking than scary. It's not It's um, not horror in the traditional sense. But um, it's, so yeah, it's got Ray Fies, it's got... Um, Anna Taylor-Joy, it's got um, Nicholas Holt, a few other people. It's re- it's it's a bit schlocky and a bit over the top, but I did really, I did really like it. Um, so I'd recommend that. Um, I'm both trying to watch more movies and read more books. That's my kind of 2023 thing. 2020. Yeah, I know. I don't know where I'm expecting to find all this time. It's just going to have to give up Spurs, I think. That's basically Perfect what timing, we should then. all do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Mac DeMarco has a new album out on Friday called Five Easy Hot Dogs. I love Mac and it, that's quite fun. Um, and I know we spoke about Happy Valley a little bit last week, but and I'm not going to say anything too much because I know Rose is not up to date. No, I've part. watched it. I've watched, oh, watched it now. It? Okay. I, I, I was able, like I snuck in the time this evening to watch it. Um, Blown I, away, man. That Blown first, away. That first scene with Sarah Lancashire mm. and Siobhan Finneran 
um, just having that conversation in the coffee shop, I think, is some of the best acting I've seen on British TV for like decades. And I think, I mean, I'm sure Sarah Lancashire is just going to hoover up every single award going for for her role in this in this third series. But just, I just can't believe how good that show just gets with every passing episode. It's extraordinary. The writing is unbelievably good. Like, I just, the way that episode in particular, I think, is structured and everything that it teases out, the sort of specifically the kind of moral dilemma all of those characters Mm. are kind of grappling with, that to me was so brilliantly done and the way that people's actions have consequences that kind of spiral out far beyond the sort of initial contact right so you saw it with with her but then also with Anne Mm, yeah and the scene that she had with her father um it was just I was just really taken aback. I just thought that's, you know, we talked about this last week and I just thought that's someone who really, really has been paying attention to people and has been thinking about things and is now just saying this, I'm going to write, really write my masterpiece. And I just, Mm. I I honestly, like, I don't think I've seen a better written episode of television like over the last however many months, to be honest. I I would agree. And I think what I love about it is that it's a show that, isn't you know like big things happen right like big dramatic quite in some instances quite over the top things happen yeah Uh, it all feels earned and deserved because like you say it feels like everything fits and it all works and you understand the motivations of the characters and you understand why they've got themselves into those situations and the the sort of work has been done to allow those things to happen for them not to feel schlocky and over the top and just done to sort of elicit a response from the viewer it all feels earned in a way that I think is really really rare particularly for Mm -hmm. sort of British crime shows um and just the dialogue is just feels so on point and natural and it's that (laughs) that incredible line where she is talking to Ryan um on the doorstep of her sister's house and and she says what are you having for tea what are you having for tea and he says <laughs> the steward says oh you're uh, they'll be all right <laughs> <laughs> it's just and a it, perfect moment isn't it and you just knew that like she loved writing that and so yeah. she loved saying it yeah sally rainwhite is she's a genius man I'd, yeah like it's like a it's, national it's extraordinary and if you've not watched i know i feel like we said exactly this last week but it's worth reiterating if you've not managed to get to season one of Happy Valley and work through them to this point. You A, you're in for such a treat and I'm really jealous that you've got all that TV to watch. And B, like, don't be put off even if you're not someone that naturally drifts towards kind of British crime things. It's just Yeah, which I'm not actually. It's not normally mm, my thing at all. So it's just it's so much more elevated than so you know, so so many things that you might expect it to be similar to. It's just terrific. So um those are my picks. Ash, have you been listening to anything good? I feel like I've been just like repeating my 2022. Mm. Like, I mean, not much has come out yet. So yeah. We're... No. Um, I mean, Scissor's really good. Um, 
there's this like there's this Charles Stepney album. He was like a really big producer in the seventies, and his daughters have put out this like collection of work that he never got to release, and it's like really amazing. Um, and everyone's sort of like going mad about it. That's really cool. I'm trying to think of others. There is more, but my brain has gone blank at the okay. right at the wrong moment. Next week, I want a full playlist's worth of tracks from you. Um, right, guys, I think we have reached the end of this episode. Um, that was very tough. I think it was really hard for all of us to sort of make sense of the weekend. And I think we did a reasonable job of not being too hysterical, but also giving the awfulness of that day the sort of gravity it also deserves so well done I, don't, I think you guys did a much better job than me um and yeah dear listeners thank you for getting through that with us um we appreciate all of you and thank you for listening um billy's not here so rosa could you see us off please i can but first i just want to say guys i love you all massive hug like spurs are such a nightmare but i feel very privileged to know you all so thank you for sharing this hell with me i wouldn't i wouldn't have it any I, you know what i would have it many other ways but since we're here i love you guys up the spurs